Hi, everyone. This is Ken Peternick with another episode of Teacher Stories. It's now January 2022, and the pandemic is still creating real challenges for many of us, especially for students and teachers and families and uh, in our schools. But the, the culture wars in education are also raging. Um, and uh, But I'm, I'm really thrilled to be doing another teacher story as a way to remind all of us that teachers really do matter and the work that they do is often has impact that goes on for for lifetimes. Uh, so uh, today I'm really excited about introducing my guest, who is Julie Hassan. Julie is uh, really a kindred spirit because she, like me, has been collecting teacher stories for several years now and recently published a book about them. The book is available on Amazon and probably elsewhere, and it's titled Safe, Seen, and Stretched in the Classroom, The Remarkable Ways Teachers Shape Students' Lives. Julie, welcome to Teacher Stories. Hi, Ken. I'm so happy to talk with you today. So let's start by uh, having you tell our audience a little bit about you, where you live, and what you do, and what prompted you to write this book. And then I'll have you share a few of your favorite stories from the book. I'm a professor in the Reich College of Education at Appalachian State University. I teach in school administration, and prior to coming here, I was an elementary school principal. When I left my principal position in 2015, I was teaching grad classes, but I was also told, you need a research focus. And I thought, what in the world do I want to spend my time finding out about? And at almost the same time, my beloved first grade teacher, Nancy Russell, retired. And I started to think about all the ways she impacted my life and so many other of the teachers who had been my favorites in K-12 retired about that same time. And I wondered, what is it that teachers say and do that former students like me remember for years, for decades after we leave them? So I decided that would be my focus. And I started out interviewing teachers about their impact, but that was not good research design because teachers don't really know unless students come back to them, unless they get a letter, a visit, some kind of affirmation of their impact. They just know what they hope it is, you know, and they plant these seeds and they don't always see the fruit. Um, so I had to talk to former students. They're easy to find. They're everywhere. You and I were once students. So uh, the IRB director at my institution suggested I make a sign, simple sign, inviting people to stop and talk about teachers they remember. And I took that sign to farmers markets, craft fairs, other college campuses, public parks, anywhere I wouldn't get arrested <laughs> with this sign, inviting people to share teacher stories. And they were so beautiful. Um, and they they really made that abstract notion of teacher impact concrete for me. And I could not believe that people carried these really specific memories of teachers for so long. So that's been my journey. You know, once I got to data analysis, I could start to pull some themes and strategies out. And those themes and strategies eventually became the book, which was released about a month ago. So you'd be at farmers markets and uh, other events in the community with a booth and people would just walk up to you and say, uh, I have a story to share with you? Yes. Sometimes they would ask some questions about the project first. 
But pretty quickly, they would start talking about a teacher and they would always say, you know, I haven't thought about this for years, but prompted by that question, tell me about a teacher who made an impact or tell me about a teacher you remember. All of these memories would come back when they started talking about that teacher. And I rarely had a lull. I mean, I had a steady stream of people who wanted to tell me about their teachers. And I think part of it is the recapturing of that feeling. You know, there's such joy and gratitude and and excitement we get from remembering a time when someone poured that kind of effort and love into us. You know, people that don't have to love us doing that for us, um, I think brings back that overwhelming kind of grateful emotion. Uh, and I also think um, they people want the opportunity to thank the teachers who made a difference in their lives. And we don't often take the time to do it, but in some way telling me about them made them feel like they were affirming and acknowledging those teachers. You know, I, I remember reading in your book, you had spoken to a colleague of yours that uh, about the impact that she and others might have had. And she said, you know, it's kind of a blur. I don't really know. And and um, and I, I think it's true that many of us don't go back to that teacher that maybe caused us to love math when we hated it before or did something to uh, have a really positive impact on our life. And you don't realize it often for years. And then you don't think, well, I'm going to, go back and say something. But, you know, I, I also was thinking about something when I read that part of your book and that we, we don't often go back. And um, this is sort of an interesting paradox. I wonder if you would agree with this. So there's a, uh, an ancient Chinese philosopher by the name of Lao Tzu who lived 500 years BC. And he had a something he said about great leaders. And I think it applies to great teachers, and it may be related to what you and I are talking about. Here, he said, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done, his aim fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves. And I just, I've always thought that that is actually true about great teachers, that sometimes um, if we did our work well, uh, they, they forget that we might have created the conditions for them to succeed. And therefore they're not inclined to go back and trace their success to people in their lives, you know, parents, friends, relatives, teachers, and realize that that person was really instrumental. And it's really by virtue of that, the way that those people operate in our lives, they deliberately were st staying away. I just wonder if that resonates at all for you. It does in so many ways. And, and, you know, we have to connect those dots backwards. So when I think about things that I now attribute to a teacher's support, I, I didn't realize at the time the impact it would have on me. And that impact only became clear now that I connect those dots backwards. So I think that's true. Over time, these teachers become more important and that influence just grows and, and it listening to these stories, people would talk about how this teacher's acts and interactions influence the way they parent, you know, the way many of them are teachers, the way they teach, of course, the way if they're doctors, they deal with patients. It so permeates their lives and they, they don't 
realize that unless they connect those dots backwards. But I also think they don't remember being taught. They remember this sort of transformation that happened to them in a teacher's classroom, and they remember the way they felt. So the active sort of teaching, certainly the standing in front of a class kind of teaching, that direct teaching, isn't really what they remember so much. Sometimes they remember a specific lesson, but more than that, it's the way their thinking changed or the way something about them changed their perspective, the way they saw themselves, and then the way they felt in that classroom. I read a a Kurt Vonnegut quote, and he said, in my favorite teacher's class, I felt prouder to be a human and happier to be alive. And I thought, what a beautiful description of what it feels like to be in the presence of a really great teacher. Well, Julie, you had a t-shirt that you talked about, your first grade t-shirt, Mrs. Russell, I believe. And and what you said about her is that everything I achieved was built on the foundation that she laid. So you did remember her. And it's actually, as I recall, one of the things that prompted you to want to do this kind of research and collecting stories from others. What do you remember about her and what did you feel? What did she help you come to feel as a student in her class? Miss Russell was my first grade teacher, and first grade is such a formative time, especially in the way we see ourselves as learners, because we're learning to read, and that's the foundation of almost everything we do academically. So I was a struggling reader, super anxious, very shy, was not feeling ready for first grade, wanted my mom to let me stay in kindergarten, (laughs) but my mom is also a teacher. She wasn't having any of that, you know, on the first day of school kind of pushed me in. And lucky for me, I ended up in Miss Russell's first grade class. And I just remember that she was so patient with me. And I often think had she been frustrated with me or, or impatient or, or treated me as if I was kind of a hassle with my struggles and all my angst, I would not see myself as a learner the same way I do. And so just the confidence, you know, in addition to the confidence in reading, because she used this multisensory approach that back, now we know it is Orton-Gillingham and, and it's pretty common, but back then it was kind of innovative. And I became a, a competent reader by the end of first grade, at least on grade level reader. But I also became more confident. And so I would take the risks you have to take as a learner, you know, to learn, to connect, to grow. So really everything after that was built on that foundation that she laid. And I loved learning so much and I love school so much because of her that I became a teacher and taught first grade, taught K through two mostly for a long time, and then became a school administrator. And when I was an assistant principal, I got a call. I loved my assistant principal job, but I got a call to apply for an opening at the school down the road, which was a struggling school. And I would be their third principal in three years, but the superintendent called. So, And so I went and I was introduced to the faculty the first day and I saw this really familiar face and it was Mrs. Russell. So I got to spend three years being her principal and watching her do for kids what she had done for me. And that reconnection was so meaningful and so important. And she was just as encouraging to me as a new leader as she had been to me as a struggling student. Um, And I told my husband, you know, 
I love to write and this book has just come out, but I still hesitated to call myself a writer. And I got a card from Mrs. Russell last week that said, you are my student and my principal, and now you're a writer. And I thought, well, now I can, because Mrs. Russell said so. So she continues to influence me, and and great teachers do. What an amazing story about how that came full circle and and how she was still, even to this day, literally almost to this day, still encouraging and instilling a sense of confidence and yeah, in what you're doing and what you have done. Absolutely. She's so important to me. And, and in so many ways, I can connect those dots backwards right to my first grade class. Yeah. But Julie, let me have you um, share a, a couple of other stories from the book, ones that are particularly memorable to you and that, that may be um, ones that our listeners would enjoy hearing about. And, and also, we'll talk a little bit about what do you think the the lessons that one might learn from uh, each of these stories? Some of the stories are very dramatic. You know, a teacher who helped a child through the loss of a family member or through something that um, really was a trauma. And so those stories are there. And there's certainly um, stories that tug at your heart and, and clearly show impact. But I think my favorites are the small moment kind of stories that a teacher probably wouldn't remember, but for some reason, the student does, because we all have the opportunity to engage in these small moments that make a big impact every day. Um, You know, we don't always have the opportunity to help a child through something really traumatic, but we always have the opportunity to make an impact through small acts of care and kindness. And I talked to a woman at the farmer's market who was probably about my age. So that means she was in kindergarten decades ago. And she was the child of a single mom. She had other younger siblings and she really wanted to learn to tie her shoe. But mom didn't have time. So in kindergarten, other kids would help her. And her teacher realized she had this goal to learn to tie her shoes. Mrs. Nash was her kindergarten teacher. So um, she kept her after school one day. And this Women remember sitting on the rug with her kindergarten teacher and being taught how to tie her shoe. And I think what struck her was this sense of worth. I'm worth my teacher's time and effort. Somebody cared about me enough to sit down and take this time and teach me how to do it. And she felt so proud when she mastered it. And still, she said, every time I tie my kids' shoes, I think about Miss Nash. Um, So in that small moment, such a powerful message that you're worthy um, and that you can do it and that I believe in you and so I will invest in you. So I love the stories like that. Um, There's one, a young man I met on a college campus told me about recess in fourth grade. They finally got big enough to go to the big playground with the volleyball net. So they would try really hard to hit the ball so that the other side couldn't hit it back. And he said after a while it got pretty rough and the girls would quit and people would stop playing. And so his teacher, Mr. Cribs, in all his genius, you know, like teachers do, came over and said, I bet you 15 extra minutes of recess that you can't keep that ball going back and forth across the net 20 times. So then they began to try to hit it so it could be hit back, teach the others how to play. I think the caveat was at some point, every student has to hit it. So it, it, was a, it became a collaborative project. They started to call it the infinite game. 
and they played at every recess. They would, the whole class would go out and they would count back and forth how many times they could hit it over. He said, he remembers we got it up to 62 in one recess, but he learned the power of collaboration. And he said it was so much more fun to play the game that way than to try to kill the other side. And he became, he was an engineering student when I met him on a college campus. And he said, engineering is collaborative work. And so those skills I learned and the importance of that at a fourth grade recess game, because my teacher was so brilliant, continues to help me and stick with me. You know, I recall a story, hearing a story when I was, I was a teacher educator also like uh, you, and um, there was a student who was talking about how, about competition and cooperation in schools. And, and uh, they said that she was in band. And one of the things she really hated was when you had to um, try out an audition to see which seat you'd sit in. And uh, just hated it because if you didn't do well, you're sort of humiliated. And there was this one student who was a trombone player and he, at the time, wasn't that accomplished. But when people would play trombone and do better and get first chair in the trombone seat, he'd go up to them afterwards with this sense of excitement, like, can you show me how to do that? And he said, all of us thought this, what, what a weird thing. You know, all of the rest of us would get upset when we didn't do well. And he just saw it as an opportunity to learn. And, and she said, it was so funny. Uh, later, my friends and I had graduated from high school and we were all together, a slumber party or something. We were watching Saturday Night Live and the trombone player was that guy. Of course and, it was. Right? Yeah. And the teacher, I think the teacher, uh, you know, had encouraged him to learn from, you know, the, the from others. And that's why you were there is to learn how to become better and enjoy it. But but the whole idea of auditioning to see who's, for, you know, and to rank people is probably not a great idea in my mind. But in this case, the uh, for whatever reason, maybe it was the teacher, maybe it was just his own student's uh, passion. Uh, or passion. They said, I don't really care what people think I just want to become a better trombone player. So anyway, it's just uh, another story. I love like the one. that. And it, it's such a powerful message that we can focus on our own learning and growth and that others can support us in doing that. And we don't, everything doesn't have to be a competition. I just talked to a young woman a couple of weeks ago. And sometimes my favorite stories, whatever the last one is that, that came in, she talked about a math teacher who never marked anything wrong. He would write, not yet on the math problems that weren't correct yet and have her go back and rework. She said it, it felt so freeing in math to know I wouldn't be wrong. I just might not be at the, at the answer I needed to be at yet. So every, there was never a red pin. There was never an X. It was always just a not yet. <laughs> no, and, and love that. I think what, what good teachers do when students make mistakes is say, oh, great, let's look at the mistakes and see what happened. There's a there's an opportunity to learn something, uh, rather than uh, treating it as, as as something bad that happened and something to be avoided. It's actually when you do make a mistake, uh, you're in school. You're not you know it's, you're not about to send a rocket into space and where a mistake could be catastrophic. Right. Um, so uh, you, you know I just want to mention parenthetically that I had interviewed someone for 
teacher stories named Alfie Cohn. He's a, a oh. writer, been around a long time and have read every book he's written. <laughs> yeah, he one of one of his books is is called No Contest: The Case mm-hmm. Against Competition in Education and I urge our listeners who are sitting there listening to us talk about the potential dangers of competition. I go, come on, this is this is the life is is full of competition. You got to learn how to do it. And he makes a really strong case that that students learn uh, much better and um, more deeply when they're not in situations where they're competing, but actually cooperating. And that most of what we do in the world as adults uh, is is cooperative. It demands cooperation. And um, so anyway, just a, a little side note there. But Julie, do you have a um, an, another story that comes to mind that you'd, that you'd like to share? I, you know, as you say that, I start thinking about the themes. And of course, safe is the first theme that started to come out of the stories. Teachers who create a safe environment for risk-taking, for making connections, for for all of the things, you know, the, the classroom can be fraught with kind of risks and, and competition. And for kids like me who are highly anxious, <laughs> learning is not best in an environment where there's a lot of anxiety. But so many people talked about feeling safe in a classroom. And for a lot of people, that was one of the rare places they felt safe. So I talked to Justin, um, who actually worked at the print shop and made my sign And he talked about Mrs. Downey, his middle school reading teacher. And he had been a struggling reader, diagnosed with some some reading issues and was in a class with all kids who needed intensive reading instruction. And he said it was sort of a get them before they get you kind of atmosphere because they all were so armored up and had struggled for so long and been made fun of. And she had these two guinea pigs in her classroom, George and Lenny, of course, she's a reading teacher. And something about the way she created this classroom with pets and beanbag chairs and the way she set up activities and and the way she assessed them made him feel very safe. And so he started to grow as a reader in that environment. And he said, "It, it changed the way I looked at myself. So that notion of a safe place to struggle to make a mistake is so important. Wow. Julie, I want to thank you so much for being part of Teacher Stories today and for writing your book, Safe, Seen, and Stretched in the Classroom, The Remarkable Ways that Teachers Shape Students' Lives. Thank you, Ken, for having me. I always enjoy our conversations. Great, great. Well, your book contains so many poignant and moving and often funny stories and, and, and lessons they have about teaching and the power of education something we take for granted all too often. Incidentally, if you have a teacher story among those out there listening to this particular episode that made a difference in your life, I hope you will consider sharing it with us at teacherstories.org. You can also go there to submit a written appreciation about that teacher on our Teacher Appreciations webpage. So long, everyone.